From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome to episode 21 of What's Wrong with Revenue where we answer the question, what's wrong with revenue? Today, we're going to talk about how companies are still considering marketing and sales as two separate departments. And I'm super excited to have a guest along with Eric and me, Joel Caparello, the VP of Revenue Marketing at WorkEva. Joel, you want to say hi for a minute? Hi, Eric. Hello. How are you? Hello, everyone uh, tuning in. Happy to be here. I've known these guys for a little while, so I'm happy to join the show. I've been fortunate enough to tune in every now and again, and I know you guys have been talking about Revenue is a matter of marketing for years, so uh, it looks like the market's finally catching up to you. Nice, and we're very excited to have you. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping first, so just so everybody knows, uh, you can catch the show uh, live stream every single week at four o'clock right here. You can get the show on our website at the bottom. There's a link, what's wrong with revenue. You can go there, you can submit questions. We will answer some questions today. And you can subscribe to the show to get updates on upcoming shows. Big news, uh, Eric and Joel. We are uh, launching Square2 Plus this week. So all of these shows will be housed at Square2 Plus, where all the audio and video content for Square2 will be available in a streaming service for free, just like Netflix. So you can go to Square2 Plus, square2marketing.com backslash Square2 Plus, P-L-U-S, and you'll get to see all of the shows there and all the other audio and video content that uh, the Square Two team, Eric and me, are producing. Uh, go check it out. And you can subscribe to Square Two Plus, and we will give you updates about new stuff added there. Also, you can get the show on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing YouTube channel, and you can catch the show on all your favorite podcast platforms. So, with that out of the way, Eric, I know we had last week off. Anything you want to add to kick the show off today before we get into it? No, uh, I'm happy to chat with Joel because he is an innovator and we can't bring enough innovative thought to our audience. So uh, I'm psyched to uh, pepper Joel with lots of questions and get his take on lots of different things in this space. Awesome. Great. So Joel, Eric, uh, let me kick the show off today. The question we're, asked, uh, we're trying to fix, help our audience fix today is how do they get their marketing and sales departments to think as one it's a life. Uh, it's an age-old problem. I used to refer to it as the Hatfields and McCoys. Marketing thinks it's sales job to drive revenue. Sales thinks it's marketing job to generate sales-ready leads. Both groups are wrong. It's everybody's job in marketing, sales, and even in customer service to work together to help your company hit its revenue goals month over month. And we're thrilled to have Joel with us. Like I said, he's the VP of Revenue Marketing at Workiva. What? Who? Who better to help us talk about getting these groups together? Joel has extensive experience in marketing. He's been a trailblazer when it comes to working with sales and service to help companies from a variety of industries hit their revenue goals. And some of my objectives for the show today, guys, 
I want to talk about how to align marketing and sales into a single revenue team. I want to talk about what goal setting methodologies help us bring these groups together, what communication strategies work best, how to open up the lines of feedback between marketing and sales so they're productive, and maybe even talk a little bit about who handles the operational issues that affect both groups. So Joel, we're super excited to have you with us. Why don't you give everybody a little bit about your background? Obviously, Eric and I know you, but maybe share with the audience some of the places you've been and the things you've done. And if you want to make a little opening comment about what we're going to talk about today, that's great. And then I'll drive a little bit of the conversation, let you and Eric riff on some topics we want to try to cover. And then we do answer questions on the show. So I have some questions that we'll answer and I'll let you, you know, uh, start us off and Eric and I'll uh, add some color to that as we go. Sound okay? Yeah, look, it sounds good to me, Mike. And like I said, the topic certainly near and dear to my heart. So just by way of brief understanding of the perspective from which I'm coming, I've been in software the majority of my career. Um, I won't tell you that uh, the first company I worked for may or may not have been selling it in shrink wrap packages with floppy disks. I won't tell you that. but um, you know, it, it was a company that was eventually acquired by Oracle, um, and then I went to work for SAP for a while, where the SAP was what was um, at the time called an industry marketing principal, which today we would probably call more like subject matter expert, uh, focused on the marketing side. And there at, at SAP, interestingly enough, sales and marketing were pretty well aligned. Uh, I ran a marketing organization for a professional services firm called Yo, it's a subsidiary of um, uh, Day and Zimmerman in Philadelphia region, did that for about four or five years. I consulted for about four or so, and I worked with mostly SaaS companies during that time, all over the, the, the world actually, to actually crack this code, especially where like inside sales is concerned. So I did that for about four years, and then I've been at Workiva uh, for the last four, I wanna say. And you know, when I got there, we didn't have a, a revenue marketing kind of slant, but we, we, do, we do now. So. It's been a pretty good run. Workiva is a uh, software as a service offering that does uh, reporting, like high-level um, regulatory tra- uh, financial reporting for large companies. So um, that's what I've done. My team at Workiva is about 30, 35, depending upon what day, because we're hiring pretty quick right now. And we cover uh, demand generation, uh, creative and content. And we have a team called marketing principles, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit because I think it's critical, like the messaging component of what you're doing is pretty important. And the marketing team beyond my team is probably close to 100. And we have a pretty good inside sales team that lives on the revenue side. And we are, we don't have a single revenue department, uh, but we operate pretty closely. So I'm excited about the topic. I think it's tricky. I think that the speed of innovation and technology uh, has has helped, has hindered the process, but especially in the sauce landscape, I'm sorry, the SaaS landscape, it's, it's maybe sauce too, but yes. it's SaaS for sure. <laughs> it's, SaaS. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty critical because the, the, at the end of the day, nobody cares how many uh, sales accepted leads you have. They care about what you booked, right? So, you know, and, and as much as we will maybe pat ourselves on the back for the MQLs and the SALs, if the bookings aren't there, nobody really cares. That's great. What a great background. You're the perfect guest to talk uh, with us about this particular topic. So let's get right into it. So Joel, tell us a little bit about some of the things you've done either at Workiva or some of your past roles to help align marketing and sales. So they at least think kind of in a singular fashion about what they're all trying to accomplish and, and work together. Yeah, sure, Mike. I, you know, I, the first um, reaction to that is when I was uh, consulting 
my clients, I would, the first thing I would do if they had an inside sales team, and, and look, I, I do think it's important that not all models are equal, right? There, there's different um, priorities. Uh, if you're a transactional kind of credit card taker, it's different than if you're a, a, a sales that they, where you need an individual that actually closed the business. Like at Workiva, we don't, you know, we don't take credit cards. There's no free trials. It's a more of an enterprise level type of sale, right? So there are a sales force that's involved. Mm -hmm. um, if, again, if you're transactional, we have a shopping card. There's obviously some nuance to that. But the first thing I would do, regardless of the model that the client was running, it was to ask to listen to their sales calls. Because invariably, you do have sales or support calls if, if it is a, a transactional business. And the reason was to really listen to what gets things into the pipeline. What are things that engage the audience? What are they, they, where, where are you hitting them about things that they care about, right? Um, and then kind of work backwards from there, because ultimately, I could bring an audience to the sales team. I think most marketers, if they're not doing that, they're probably not a good marketer, right? But flipping that over into a, a meaningful conversation that actually materializes into pipeline or into uh, that credit card being entered so you could actually take the free trial, well, that's probably the critical component. So that was one of the first things that I would typically do is, hey, what you know, is it that takes an active, engaged member of your audience. And that's the way I look at them. I look at them as audience members first, right? And, um, and it really ignites them to take that next step, right? Whether it's, I'll agree to talk to a salesperson and I'll get to the 50% stage of the pipe, or I'll put my credit card in and, and use that 30 day free trial. Joel, that's let me ask you a question. Yeah, go, ahead, you, Eric. go ahead. When you here, we call that reading the tea leaves, right? Getting all the information from out there and assembling it into some kind of strategy. When you hear that, is it typically um, the sales team's responsibility to drive home on those points? Or are you looking to marketing to answer or address those before they get to the sales team? Because you're, you're hearing some good nuggets on those calls that you're listening to. Are you immediately saying, <clears throat> marketing, create content to, for this to answer these questions so it's easier for the salespeople? Or has your posture been, hey, sales folks, when you hear this, here's a piece of content to support that? Yeah, that's a good question, Eric, right? I, and again, I, I hate the caveat of it depends, but it certainly <laughs> does, right? Because it depends upon the size of your organization. Like we're a pretty large, I mean, we're not like gigantic, right? We have about a couple thousand employees, but we're not small either, right? At Workiva, I'm speaking of right now. Um, you know, so for us, the, the, the larger you get, the more focused the different disciplines are, right? Um, if you're a smaller team, then you're doing it all, right? I think you're doing all those things. What we try to focus in on and what we have been at Workiva is really the experience from the moment you consume something from us uh, whether or not you know it is from us, right? Until the moment you go to renew that contract after we were successfully able to close you, right? So you're looking at an entire life cycle of that experience. And that's how we approach it, right? So to answer your question more, you know, specifically, that I think is where there's been a gap in marketing over the last probably 15 years, I think due in part to product marketing becoming a more defined discipline and also marketing technology just exploding over the last 15 years. Because those two things have happened, you've had what was traditionally marketing kind of zero in on just getting the tech out the door and making it work for you and, and on and on, right? And on the product marketing side is to actually market the bits and the bytes or whatever the, the software does. And again, you have to understand I'm coming from the SaaS world. So it's all, it's all um, you know, explaining how the product works. You know, but to your point, it's the job of the marketer to 
build that entire experience. So whether it's a high level above the funnel piece that's simply built for awareness, right? That, hey, it engages them. It earns the right to hold their attention so that they do come back and get engaged. Now, when they come in and they convert on something that I want them to convert on, what is that, is that experience consistent, right? What we try to do is get them quickly as possible to the solution that they care most about, right? So if we're asking about reading the tea leaves, what we care, the experience changes from, if it's an awareness, it's a different experience. You know, the experience has to be consistent, but it changes from the moment I just consume to the moment I'm now considering actually engaging in the process or again, putting my credit card down, right? So I think it's the marketer's job to make sure that, that experience matches where they are, but there's a spectrum, right? Because the closer you get to the sales process, and again, I wanna make sure I'm clear here, our sales process is probably 90 days and we have people involved in doing the selling, right? So I, there's a portion of that experience where I, there's nothing I do that's gonna help that. I have to get it into the hands of the sales team, right? Make sure that they're enabled properly. We work together with the product marketing team, make sure that these questions are answered adequately, reflect those tea leaves in the front end of the process so that it's as seamless as it can be. I mean, I know it's kind of a, a long answer, but I mean, it's, a, it's not, a, it's not a, an uncomplicated problem to address. So you do you, how, how much influence do you have in the sales process? So I, I get it, like the marketing's kind of teeing it up and eventually it transitions from marketing to sales at some point. But how involved are you or, or your crew in in making that sales process as remarkable as possible? Yeah, I think generally the teams, the marketing and the and the revenue team you know, to, are should be one, right? Right. And if they're not one in structure, so the organization chart might not reflect it. The day-to-day -day operation absolutely needs to, right? right, right. So, for instance, um, let's look at um, you know pipeline, right? Um, if you're measured by pipeline, and that measurement uh, should probably reflect when you need to be concerned about a gap that could be appearing in the pipe. So that that is um, a subset of working really closely with your sales team to understand how they. It, like if you're an organization A, right, like they might not care or manage the pipe until they get to commit, right? Where they're in the, again, I'm speaking of a longer sales process, but it's transactional, it's obviously a little bit different. It's a whole different set of problems. But if you have a longer sales process, you could have some sales leaders that don't care, just get me to commit. If I'm commit, I'm going to manage you, you now, my teams, my sales VP should manage their teams against that commit. So if you put something in commit, you better close it, right? You might have other sales leaders that manage the entire a stage. So they want to see what's early. They want to see what's at the 30, 40%. Um, they want to, if you're using medic or something, they might want to evaluate the criteria. Do you have all the medic information, you know, bands, do you have the, the budget and the authority defined? You know, you'll pick your framework, right? They might manage against that whole thing. So it's key for the marketer to understand how the sales leader manages to their quotas, right? Because they're, look, the marketer, I've not been in an organization where marketing's held a quota, right? Um, there could be some that are out there. I have not seen one, but the salesperson holds the quota. They don't get paid. They don't make the bookings or they don't close the business, right? So mm -hmm. it's critical if you're going to partner with them to understand how they manage that number. So if, the, if I know that, right? And again, across every, my, every stop that along my career, this has been critical. If I know how the sales team is managing to hit the number, then that conversation becomes a lot easier to have because now I could adjust 
to make sure that what I'm doing is getting more conversations, that those conversations are more valuable, that we flip more into uh, discovery, and that more discovery is flipped into honest to goodness pipeline. Mm -hmm. Got it. Eric, anything else you want to add? No, I have another question for Joel. So you sure. said when you uh, got to Workiva, it wasn't what it is today. So what did it look like in the beginning? And then give us a little bit of what it looks like today. So we, the audience can kind of hear that transition from, from you. Yeah, uh, look, that's, that's a pretty questioner. So uh, just a little bit of history. Workiva is a um, publicly traded company. Uh, we've been around since 2009, 2010. Give or tell, 2010 is the actual date, but they were they were selling before the official launch, um, and we sold originally an SEC filing application. Uh, it is still the core of the system today. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But at the time, it was pretty fortuitous because the uh, marketplace didn't really have any digital options. Certainly, didn't have any cloud options. So you would go to a printer when you did your public filing, you would produce your annual report and they would also file it with the SEC. So, you know, look at the, the, the remember, you know, harken back to 2010 where cloud was like really catching fire. So the fact that we were able to put it in the, on the cloud, uh, there was also a digital taxonomy that was required. So we were able to digitize that process as well. So the company would had a meteoric rise, right? Um, now, here we are some, nearly uh, you know, 11, 12 years later, and we, we have a platform of technology that really allow, if you were to look at it outside in, it would look like Office or, or G Suite to you, but that's where the comparison stops. The, the platform works best when there's complexity of what you're working on is really high, where the data integrity is, is gotta be nailed, and where um, you're collaborating across countries and divisions and, and regions and jurisdictions, right? So when those three things, that's when you use Workiva. Now, when we first got here, because of where we came from, it was kind of a transactional model almost because the sales team was um, sending, our inside sales team before I got here, but it was set up, they were appointment setters, right? They would just like really churn and burn to get appointments set. The seller would come in and we closed kind of quickly. But the landscapes change. We cover so much more that we've had to mature with it. So about 2018, right when I got here, probably about half, half, uh, six months into my first year here, uh, product marketing and marketing were separate. Marketing at the time was more of like a corporate marketing team, and product marketing was really like deal support, right? So those two teams were collapsed under our now CMO um, in 2000. I want to say 18, maybe going into 19. And the goal was to build the scale to, bro, you know, to increase that reach, right? So one of the things that I mentioned it earlier, one role we created was this role called marketing principle. So what the marketing principle does, and not many organizations have it, it's kind of unique to what we do, but they are the purest marketers of the lot. They take the go-to-market from the product marketing team, and they create a marketing strategy against it. So they own segments of the market that we're targeting. So uh, it could be... Um, you know, think about a vertical. One could own a vertical. One could own um, an account segmentation of a revenue band, right? Uh, the way that they're structured is they build an entire marketing strategy to get the audience in that segment over to the inside team that fields that activity and then actually does some of the first part of the sales effort to get them over into the, um, the field so they can start to get them into pipe and sell. So that, that's probably the biggest change is we've added that role. Um, and it's, it's been pretty successful because 
they, their, their job isn't just the product. It isn't just the marketing technology. It isn't just lead generation. It is to actually think through all these uh, problems, right? Here's everything you have to sell, right? How do you market all of that? So when the seller, like for instance, we have a, we're, we have a, a pretty good partner ecosystem that's, that's been maturing over the years. Well, at this point, especially this year, these marketing principles are now able to factor in the partner ecosystem now. Okay, what partnership? Look, I know you guys uh, grew up on, on HubSpot and you guys were a good partner for HubSpot. You know, kind of rewind the clock and and I think and they actually did some of this right where it was a partner led strategy where they were selling through partners. And I know there was a there was a revenue share at the time, right? Yep. Um, now that was a little bit more transactional at the time because I think you did take. I think back then they were taking credit cards. I'm not sure if they still do, right? But it's it's similar to that model. We have a group that just does that. Here's everything that is going to be a value to our marketplace from the idea that we're selling to the actual solution. So how do you strategize message around that, build a cadence um, around what the revenue objectives are and then connect with our campaign managers so the campaign managers then can, can build campaigns to fulfill that marketing strategy. So it's pretty dramatic change from when, we, when I first got here to now because it's a, a completely different approach really. Who's your counterpart on the sales side? So our biggest internal customer is probably um, our inside sales team. So we call them, um, I guess, SDR, uh, solution development reps, I guess we call it, I don't know, SDR. I don't even know what the acronym stands for, but truth. Um, so they're the inside sales team and they're aligned very tightly with sales as well. So certainly the sales team, I think the product marketing team is, is more embedded with sales um, because again, if we're building the experience to get them the customer that is to pay attention, engage, and then discover and say yes to the pipeline opportunity, right? The PMMs are kind of taking it from there. So for us, for the revenue marketing team, it is that first stop. So the first human interaction, which is the, um, the inside sales team is our most important customer, but you know, sales operations too. I mean, uh, the, the woman that runs revenue ops is, I mean, we talk, you know, we're talking every day, looking at pipeline numbers every day, looking at uh, closed one every day. Right. So that's, those are our biggest customers. How, how do you guys set goals? Like how, how do you set goals for your crew? How do, how do you set goals for the SDR team? Are you involved in that process at all with them? Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, what we use, where Kiva uses a OKR framework. So objectives, key results. If um, there's that book that was out a couple of years back called uh, Measure What Matters. Um, that's, that's, if you're curious about it, that's a, a good book to check out. But objectives, key results is just, hey, what's the major objectives and what are the two or three key results that we're going to actually deliver that will get us to the objective? So the entire company kind of uses that framework. So the way we operate is we don't build them in isolation. They're built um, in collaboration with our revenue peers. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, the bookings is the thing that drives the conversation, right? So the bookings numbers are the things that uh, we ultimate the ultimate objective, right? How we get there and how we arrive there together is what our OKRs are built against. And book, bookings—that's the close close customers, right? New, right. new customers, right? Yeah. Right. What What's the average sale over the year for Workiva? Like, how how big is the sale there? Uh, I don't think I could talk about that. Oh, like, okay. All right. No problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Big, bigger than a bread box, I'm assuming, yeah. right? Right. It depends. I mean, it's grown. I can tell you that. I mean, when I got here, it was probably, uh, you know, I, actually our earnings call usually states the number of customers we have in the, in the hundreds of thousands. And that's a, that's a big okay. metric. 
is how do we get more customers that are in the hundreds of thousands and not the thousands. Right. Yeah, for context, all of our listeners, audience, or whatever are complex sale, high ticket average, long sales cycle, which obviously Workiva uh, fits that. Sure. Excellent. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you rattled off a lot of different peers you have in Workiva, right? You have your revenue operations person, you have the person heading, running the SDR team. Like, how do you interact with them from a communication perspective to keep all you guys on the same page and, and kind of moving the business forward? Uh, look, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny because my team is spread all over the country, right? So I have people in Kansas City, Chicago, um, Ames, Iowa is our headquarters, Denver. Uh, and that's true of the entire company. So when the pandemic came along in 2020, it wasn't, we didn't really miss a beat because we were working virtually already. Um, I mean, we're a heavy meeting culture, but again, it's the, the, the things that matter most are, hey, are we hitting our numbers, right? And everybody is, everybody's incented to do that. Everybody uh, cares deeply about getting there, right? So um, on a, just at a tactical level, like I'm talking to the woman that runs um, our inside team at least bi-weekly, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're regularly more recently because we're still at the beginning of the year, we're changing some things. Um, we have a, a big meeting between marketing leadership and revenue operations leadership once a week. Mm -hmm. And it's called like go-to-market uh, 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 synchronization, I think. But that's, that's where a lot of this comes to... Um, comes on the table, right? Because we'll, something as, as uh, tactical as the corporate deck needs to be updated, right? Or we have to train sellers on this new offering to, hey, we're gonna adjust the go-to-market model a little bit. How do we have to adjust the sales model? And then we don't own the sales model. So how do we educate our sales brethren to have that active conversation to see if they wanna even change their model to meet ours, mm -hmm. right? I just thought they have to kind of decide how they're how they're selling it. We just kind of suggest where they should do the the hunting. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have like a uh, internal like a Slack channel? Do you use uh, one of those tools, Zoom or something, to kind of keep those conversations going internally? Yeah, you know what's funny? We, we're a huge Slack. I love Slack. I mean, I don't even read my email anymore. To tell you the truth, we're we're a huge Slack organization. So yeah, we do. We have um, we have Slack channels for major areas of intersect for sure. Mm -hmm. And then we'll manage bigger efforts by the first thing we'll do is just create a, a channel around those mm -hmm. things. Like right now, I'll give you an example. We're looking on overhauling how we just communicate internally because the campaigns are changing and we want people to be aware of them. So we have probably about, I don't know, 14 people on this like task force right now to update the way we're communicating internally. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll do that in Slack. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's the first stop for for all of us, because it's 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 works right. There's a video component to it. There's uh, archival of the information you've talked about. We'll recap our our follow throughs there. Pin all, all the uh, key documents on that channel. So it's it's a pretty productive way to do it, I think. Mm -hmm. And how about like shared dashboards? Is that are the metrics pretty transparent in terms of the all, all the teams that you're interacting with? They are, um, you know, we, we use our own tool because our tool has a spreadsheet component, but the difference between us and, and, and Excel or something is that the data is synced directly to the source, right? So the data is refreshed daily. So we're all looking at the same thing and you can see the history of what's changed and why. And we're also a big quick site shop. So we'll, we have quick site dashboards that we, we leverage and everyone has access to. Um, again, I, I don't need to keep plugging our software, but 
the, our slideware is all same thing. All that data is connected back to the source. So we have a, a health of marketing deck that is just it's nobody you don't have to update it it's just automatically updated when the, the data is refreshed on the in the, you know two o'clock in the morning or whatever so those are the tools that we use um to keep everybody lined up there's and the um this the, the health of marketing deck is you know there's conditional formatting on the cell so we just do the red yellow green thing to call your attention to where it needs to be cool i also wanted to ask a little bit about you talked about your vp of revenue operations right so are they handling operational issues for sales and marketing uh no that's a good question we have a we have a vp of marketing ops who's on our oh, team okay. um, so, and they and that um and data is a big component of this also uh so we have data folks they have data folks too but it's the only difference is like the org chart and what they're managing so your sales operational data would be much more focused towards the second half of the sales process. We're looking at data from, again, awareness all the way through to the pipeline creation in the early stages. But, um, you know, we're, it's the same thing. I mean, we're, we're pretty tightly aligned on it. And I think you need to be if revenue is the most important thing, which I think we all agree. Yeah, so is, re right? revenue ops is more sales ops and you have your own market or there's, there's another marketing ops person. Is that right? Well, there is because, you know, I mean, um, our marketing ops is handling a lot of marketing technology, our database right. uh, integrity, um, out the, the Marketo database integrity, out, and when, where, and how it should be. You know, we do lead scoring, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the reporting on the market. There's things in marketing at the front end of the process that sales doesn't care about. Like they don't care about, you know, which channel is performing highly for us, you know, um, and nor should they, right? That should they, I, if I'm doing my job, they shouldn't worry about the channels. I mean, that's, that's ours. So they're not going to care too much about that data. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the data they're managing. Do they give you feedback on the lead scoring? Like, hey, oh, yeah, I know yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We agree. Can, we don't. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, what does that feedback loop look like, and how do you iterate on that lead scoring piece of it? I mean, we revisit it probably once a year because things always change, right? We try to improve upon it. Doesn't mean we only touch it once a year. That's just like when there's a major kind of refresh um, if it's needed. Um, I mean, we it's pretty it's pretty robust our lead scoring. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But to simplify it, the things that matter are what is the best, best conversation to have, right? And that's typically, hey, are they the right person at the right company? And are they engaged? Now, there's much more to it, but those are just if I had to simplify. It, those are the three criteria. So when those three criteria are high, the lead will score high. And that's what feeds the Salesforce dashboards of our inside sellers. So that their, their work list will be filled up with those types of leads. Mm -hmm. um, but we're constantly looking at um, what's in like right now, what we're working through is, um, you know, we have a marketing source number that we track, but we're trying to develop a, uh, an engagement score. Um, and there's, I can get into to details on that, but the, the reason for that is because sales has a lot of recon and there's a lot of, uh, supporting, um, effort that goes into it. So we're trying to measure the efficacy of those things. So that's kind of what we're in the middle of building right now. But, um, for the most part, the way I define the lead score is how, the activities driven over into um, into the hands of the inside seller. Cool. Hey, Mike. Uh, I know there's uh, several questions that were submitted by the viewers. Why don't we dive into a few of those? Let Joel uh, Joel tackle those. Sounds good. Yeah. So I do have some questions, Joel. So, sure. um, uh, question number one is from Larry in California. What were some of the hurdles you faced once you settled into your role, and how do you overcome them? So I know Eric asked you about like what was life like when you first got there, but Talk to us about some specific issues or challenges you might have dealt with and how you got over them. 
Uh, yeah, that's a fair question. I, I, I look at organizations, and again, I have the benefit of, of doing some consulting work too, so I've seen a lot more organizations, right? And what I've found, and I'd be interested to see what you guys think about this too. Organizations are one of three types, right? They're either market-led, marketing-led, uh, product-led, or sales-led, right? Or they're a hybrid of two of those things. Um, I think it's critical as a marketing professional to know what you are, right? Because then you have to serve the immediate needs of, of the leadership of the organization, right? So when I got to Workiva, we were probably, we were really product sales kind of driven, right? We were build and sell type of approach. And look, look a lot of, you know, pick your startup, right? Very few are created by marketing minds, right? It's, it's usually product is, is what leads the way. So it's not atypical. Um, so some of the things we were talking about, you know, when I first got here, I think the thought process of, of mine and a couple other folks in marketing that had joined were a little, the organization wasn't ready for them yet, right? So we had to kind of scale back and just look at the immediate needs of uh, fix, like uh, for instance, the pipeline analysis was very remedial. Um, they, they weren't, the scoring was okay, but it, it just wasn't really broken out into, um, segments that I could act on and, and nurture better. So that we spent a lot of time there instead of like boiling the ocean on, hey, this, this revenue first marketing model, right? Um, and I think that's reflective of the type of organization. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're a marketer watching this and you show up at a marketing led organization, well, that's like, you know, that should be nirvana for you. And you should be really jazzed about working there because uh, the first question to ask is, is um, some of the things we're talking about here, right? But if you're in a product-led or a really sales-driven culture, then the first thing to be successful, I think, is just match the immediate needs of, of what the organization wants. Because I think you gain, you gain credibility, you gain some political capital internal, um, you're able to illustrate how the work does affect whether it's product efficacy or sales efficacy. And then you can move on to the next thing. So that's how we approached it. And again, it wasn't just me. It was a whole bunch of newer folks that joined at the time. But that's how kind of we, we approached it. That's really good advice and so true. Uh, you can't really force people to do something they're not ready to do yet. So you got to bring them along slowly in some circumstances. Uh, maybe that's a politically correct way to say it, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's got to be, be a good partner. You do. You do. All right. I got a really good question here. This is something that we get asked kind of regularly and it's usually Eric and me answering. So I'm excited to see what you have to say. Um, this is from John in um, Seattle. He wants to know, there are so many tactics under consideration to drive revenue from a marketing perspective. Can you talk about some of the more successful ones you've used um, and how you were able to optimize them over time? Right. So Look, when you when when we talk to our clients, literally there's like an unlimited amount of things we could do for them, right? But they can't afford everything, and they have to prioritize. So they're con they constantly want, you know. Obviously, everyone's looking for the silver bullet, the magic button that you press that produces all the leads that they're going to need. And maybe the three of us know that that doesn't exist, but not everybody knows that that doesn't exist. So how do you go about sorting through? all these tactics and deciding which ones are going to get at the top of the list, which ones are going to get executed aggressively. You know, do you do any experimentation on things that might be in the middle or the bottom of the list to see if they could float up? Talk to us about that a little bit. That's a good question, Mike. Um, look, I'll go back to my consulting days. When I was consulting, um, you know, when you're kind of a one man show, you're, you got to eat what you kill, right? You have to go do the selling and then you got to serve the account. Right. Um, and what, 
what, what are the most important things I learned early there is that the pricing and the packaging was critical, right? In other words, I had to make it really easy to understand what I was going to do. Because here's when you're consulting, everybody wants to force you into an hourly discussion. And, and quite frankly, that's not very cost effective for me, right? Like to get paid hourly, like nobody's going to pay me like what they pay a top legal counsel, right? $500 an hour, 750, whatever it is, right? But that's the kind of value that I, I feel I bring. So how do I do that, right? It was critical to, to, to box up the offering. So it was easy to talk about, right? And I think that it made a huge difference, right? Because if it's easy for you to understand it, right? And you could see, you could start to mentally affix value to what I'm selling you, right? The conversations on on the terms of the customer out of the gate, right? And on your terms too, because you're not talking about, oh, okay, well, how much can you do for, for 10 hours? I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hour for hire hourly, right? Like I'm gonna deliver this, right? This is the thing, the package, right? Now, look, I will tell you that 95% of the time I would sell the package, but when I got into the engagement, that's not really what we did, right? You, again, this is the consulting world, right? I would serve whatever their immediate need was again, right? But you're kind of bound to the, the contract, which was there. That again, so in our world now, fast forward over to Merkiva, that's more of a product marketing equation, but it's critical because as if we're talking about revenue here, the tactic that gets them to the point, now again, I want to make sure I'm clear here, we're 90 day sales cycle, sometimes more with our more complex offerings, it's a multi-user buy, right? So there's a buying center, it's not one person, right? So you have a lot of audience members in the sale, right? So um, to, the faster you can get them to start to evaluate your offering on in, in the, the framework that they already understand, where it falls into their budget, the immediate need they have, it's gonna fit in, the other three projects are going to have to say no to if they do this. The faster you can get people to that, the better the close rate is. Um, and that's what it's got to be about. It's got to be about the close rate. Um, so one thing tactically we do is, look, demos work, right? If I can get people to a demo, they convert significantly higher than anything else we do. So this year, we're, you know, we have it in our OKRs. We want to get a, a certain percentage over where we were last year for demo requests. And we want to get them more discreet around specific areas of the solution, because we know that that is a winner, right? And it, so that's why I kind of tie those two things together. I, I, a guy long ago, many years ago, going back to my, my Primavera Oracle days said, uh, you know, your opinion, why interesting, may, it doesn't matter, right? So basically it's like what, what the seller, what the, the buyer cares about and what, what, how they think about it, where their budget lives. You know, we buy a lot of technology and I, I tell you know, my friends that, that sell here at Wakiva all the time is, when I'm a buyer of technology, you know, if you help me make the case for this thing, even beyond the case I could make, I mean, that's a, that's a slam dunk, right? So the tactics, they're important, but what are you trying, what are the tactics being used to get me to? That's how we look at it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty valuable. Um, I might take that clip, Mike, and just play it over and over again in front of prospects. Yeah, you should. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about demos for a minute. Have you done any experimentation with any alternative types of demos? Like we've worked with some clients on some, some like canned demos, right? That on-demand demos, I guess would be a more uh, 2022 way to talk about it. Like, hey, click here to watch a demo, right? Uh, on-demand or even some group demos where like you have, do your product marketing people do the demos or the salespeople? Um, 
you know, I'll be honest, our, our, we're, we, it's an area we need to improve upon. I mean, it works. That's the good news. Uh, for us, the way it works today, it's usually a bit of appointment setting, right? So I have to get you to agree to a time to meet with somebody to do the demo, right? right. And then in there's a, that, there's a little bit of qualification on what you want to see up front. Now, to your point, I think there's probably three categories of them, right, that we're looking to build. One is more architecture, if you will. So more um, video, quick video representation of the solution. Right. For the sole purpose of like pulling you in further. One would be kind of bespoke demonstration that is on demand that you could watch when you want. But I think, you know, there's got to be utilitarian purpose from our perspective there. We're not going to, we probably won't ungate that. We want that to be gated because I right. think if, right. if you get to that point, we know why you're there and, and we feel it's a good trade-off, right? And then we use, um, we just implemented Drift um, probably about seven, eight months ago. So the plan with Drift is to really be super aggressive on the high traffic demo pages. So the experience yep. when you land on that page yeah. is, is pretty well tuned to, we know why you're there. We know what you're getting ready to see. So um, we've got the inside sellers ready to field that activity so they get demo you right then and there. That's good. Has that been successful, the, the chat to demo uh, transition? Yeah, the drift leads, um, they convert high. I mean, I, I could, you know, um, I'd be interested to see what happens with them. I can't imagine they'll be solo forever. I mean, I, I think didn't, uh, they just recapitalized, I think recently. But anyway, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a feature of other marketing tech, but yeah, it works for sure. I think um, you have to be, somebody's got to be on it, right? Like you have to, right. you have to care and feed it, right? Right. Because it works best if you're on a high intent page and you, you the person's there is ready to have the conversation. Right. Yeah. I did have a question um, about your tech stack. I know I think you casually talked about Marketo and Salesforce and now Drift. Are there any other tools or technologies you're using or had some ex good experiences with uh, over there? Uh, yeah, I mean, those are our main ones. I mean, we're looking at, I mean, we use an ABM, I think we're using Terminus today, but we're looking, um, we're global, right? So Terminus mm -hmm. doesn't do a great job globally. So we're looking at um, considering a new ABM component of that. Um, but those are those are our main. We, we use um, oh shoot the data cleansing tool. I forget what it is now, um, off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean we we've got a ton of technology. Nice, good. Eric, anything else for Joel? I think Joel's doing a heck of a job of uh, igniting some interesting conversations amongst our uh, listeners and their teams because you're modeling what I think is a wonderful way to to approach the sales and marketing. Um, one question I have, what happens when sales and marketing disagree? That's a good question. You know, it's funny. I was just saying to someone here the other day, I like right now is like the best situation I've ever been in. I mean, like we're so aligned. It's the best place I've ever been. That hasn't been true across every stop in my career. I mean, I've, I've been in organizations where there's just animosity between the two groups and that that's terrible. You don't want that. I think the disagreement, look, at the end of the day, the revenue is king. I mean, that's just going to win, right? Uh, young, earlier in my career, I would be a little bit um, arrogant about, hey, this, we know this works. You should go sell this thing this way to these people, right? Um, and maybe, it, maybe that was true, right? But, um, you know, if, if that's not the experience of the salespeople, that's not what's working for them. I mean, you, you can't be so, uh, I, you can't be such an ideologue that you, you can't listen to what their needs are in the immediacy. And I'll give you a great example real time here at Workiva. There's this one slide that we have that kind of positions all our solutions and we can't stand the design of the slide. Okay. It's just, we don't like it. We've been trying to redesign that slide for the four years I've been here. And every time we do sales just goes off and designs it the way that they want it. 
well, guess what? I'm out of the business of trying to redesign that slide as much as our, my creative team hates it, right? Because that's what they're comfortable you know, delivering. It works for them. So I'm not going to you know, fix a, what, what isn't broken, right? Because that's the way they want it. Do I love the slide? No, but you know what? That's, that's when you have to kind of take their lead on. They're the ones slugging it out. I mean, they're the ones carrying the quota. So I'm going to defer to them on certain things. That's very uh, smart of you. Generally, yeah, sales good. wins, Eric. Right? I think That's you right. have to you have to support sales from a marketing perspective. Unless you see that they're running the train off the rails, <laughs> I think generally you have to try to help them as best you possibly can, or at least make a legitimate business case with a with an alternative option that maybe you could get some yeah. people to. Yeah, uh, I think support. you know what's most important is like the account segmentation. I think that becomes where that's where there should be some good spirited debate. The account segmentation should matter. If if sales wants to all of a sudden go down market or up market, well, why? Right. Like you can't it's, it's like hope is not a strategy. That old sales book from back in the late 90s, early thousands. Right. I mean, that is true. Right. You might want to go up or down market, but just because you feel like there's more um, annual contract value there isn't a good enough reason. So I think when those instances, that's when there should be, and that's early on usually. So I think that's a, a good place to have those spirited debates. I mean, is that a sales conversation or is that more business strategy that the leadership and CEO would, would be involved? Don't you think? It depends, right? I mean, yeah, certainly, you know, at the macro level it is, right? But um, sometimes if you're given a number in the marketplace, not, again, not here at Workiva, but I've seen it during my consulting days, that uh, sales was given a lot of autonomy. They would be given the market. Or get the number wherever you can, go wherever you need to go to hit the number. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, I think that would be a smaller company scenario than you. Yeah, it usually is, right. Like, you know, you're talking about like less than 100 million, you know, in revenue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this about data, right? So data is objective. How uh, often does sales push back against feel or preference versus the data that marketing presents to them? I'm sorry, uh, say it again, Eric, I didn't quite follow you. Um, so uh, sales says we should go upstream. And you're like, the data shows that we're getting way more people on the enterprise. Uh, sorry, uh, they should go downstream. Well, look, uh, enterprise people are visiting the website three to one. Explain to me how you might leverage data analysis or insights into those de spirited debates, as you say. Yeah, um, it's hard to escape the data, right? I mean, th there's obviously nuances and complexities to how you're deriving the numbers, right? But let's assume that everybody understands how the numbers were derived. And again, I'll go back to kind of when I was consulting. Um, one of my last clients was a uh, HR software company in, in Ireland. Um, and they had recapitalized and they were looking to, um, they, they were stuck in um, retail, right? Like that was, and it was it was problematic because the recapitalization had them headed towards the sale, right? That's where their destination was. They wanted to get the numbers up so they could sell the company, right? Um, yet they're in this dying industry, right, uh, of retail. So um, there was some thought and they also did scheduling, right? So they did like, um, shift scheduling for uh, public transit and things like that. And it was a big seller for them, right? Because it, it worked uh, and they made a lot of money off that. They had a lot of customers in install base, but their churn was starting to go up, right? So that's a pretty good example, right? Of where data does make the difference because what they started to do was um, use, they had an analytics tool, which would help them, uh, they would turn scheduling into just the operational necessity of it into, hey, optimizing, 
like if you're retail, like, hey, have your best floor sellers on during the highest traffic areas, right? So they, they transitioned to kind of do that. And there was a, something you could add on and sell there. So they wanted to sell it very broadly, right? But this is a perfect example. So they would go and look at the performance of how people were evaluating it, where they were paying attention to, uh, how what was converting into pipe, and then what they were selling to um, actually pinpoint where they ought to be selling it. And it turned out to be like banks and, and, and uh, like regular like clothing retail, things like that. So that's how you address it, right? Is it you have to have the patience to look at it together. It can't be, a, a, it, you know, this is, this is why there can be no daylight between you and, and revenue. I mean, it, it's because you, you're, you're aligned the same way. You might have different paths to get there, but ultimately that's the alignment. So I think to answer your question, it's, hey, there, there's got to be a, a willingness to look at how I've arrived at the data, what it means, and then make decisions based upon it. That's what I've seen work anyway, the best. Yeah, it's a great point. A great way to wrap up the show. You got to look at the numbers and that does, in the end, answer a lot of questions and end a lot of arguments. Joel, you've been a great guest. We really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, really uh, thankful for your insight and ideas. And I know our audience is also. Uh, join us next Wednesday at four o'clock again for What's Wrong with Revenue when Eric and I are going to answer the question, you don't have anyone in a revenue operations role, and that's why you're struggling with revenue. Again, everybody, check us out if you're into podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you want to watch the show, you can find us on YouTube and the Square Two Marketing channel. And you can always find the show on the Square Two Marketing website at the bottom. Click the link, What's Wrong with Revenue? You'll see all the shows. You can subscribe to the show. You can submit questions like the ones you heard us answer here today. And big news, like I said earlier in the show, we're now on Square Two Plus. If you find Square Two Plus, square2marketing.com backslash square2 PLUS. You can see all the What's Wrong with Revenue shows, all the Smash the Funnel podcasts, all the On the Horizon shows, all the video and audio content that Square Two Marketing has created over the past couple of years on a really cool interface called Square Two Plus. Thanks everybody for joining. Have a good rest of your day. Eric and Joel, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. So long. Thanks, Joel. Thanks again, Thanks, Joel. I enjoyed it. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.